Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. In-depth coverage and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto and Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Insider. banks are broke. Oh, why are they broke? It isn't an act of God. They're broke because we have a system called fractional reserve banking, which means that banks can lend money that they don't actually have. It's theft from the taxpayer. And until we start sending bankers, and I include central bankers and politicians to prison, it will continue. another excited episode of Thriller Insider. Today is May 25th, 2021, and we are talking, that's right, consensus day two. So today we are talking just two big topics today. I decided instead of doing the usual panel by panel kind of summary, I gets boring. <laughs> I'm a guy who likes to change it up. I just, you know, I, I just do. Uh, so I decided instead of doing that, let's do kind of a rapid fire kind of narrative when it comes to what happened on day two, right? I think let's, let's try something different today, you know? So let's keep it interesting. Let's kind of spice it up, all right? So there's some paprika on there. <laughs> okay, so for day two, let's, uh, let's, let's hear from this guy, um, this dude, uh, and he's gonna talk about what's going on day two. Let's roll it. day two of Consensus presented by Coindesk. I'm Michael Casey. Yesterday was a jam-packed day filled with exciting news and announcements from industry leaders and forward thinkers who are working to shape what's next for the future of blockchain and crypto technology. As we gear up for all the content of the day, I want to share some insights on how to get the most out of your experience. If you haven't already, we encourage you to take a few moments to set up your Taurus wallet and get started earning Desk 
Coindesk's new native rewards token. Use it to earn valuable rewards during your consensus experience. Today's content will cover news on what's next for China and their digital future. It will provide investment and financial advisors with tips and tools on how to best serve their clients. And it will dive into some of the most innovative DeFi projects and protocols. Stick around also for the keynote conversations. Join speakers Michael Saylor and Michael Sonnenschein to discuss this year's remarkable bull run. Hear from Mary Mika and Roham Garagoslu as they discuss the hype around NFTs and how NBA Top Shot took the world by storm. And of course, there will be networking. Connect with your peers in Bevy or join one of the virtual reality rooms in VR platform Nowhere. If this is your first time joining us, here's a brief overview of how to get the most out of your event experience with Bevy. So today in Consensus Day 2, there's really just two topics that I think are the most important when it comes to what occurred today. Yes, there was there was some DeFi, there was Ethereum stuff, but to be honest with you, a lot of that was already covered on, you know, Ethereal Summit. And we did two whole days of that. <laughs> and I do not want to relive that again. <laughs> right? Uh, a lot of Ethereum has been uh, deflated for now. And to be honest with you, that's usually how it goes with Ethereum. Uh, it's very community-based, right? Um, the next big conference for Ethereum is ETHCC. That's out in uh, in France. Uh, it's a community-based conference. And I think, you know, that's going to be in, in July. So I think once we, once we get to there, um, I think that's when you'll start seeing Ethereum start peaking again. So with all that being said, yes, there is some Ethereum talk today. But the two main kind of discussions that were happening today were based around FUD, right? So we had this Bitcoin mining ESG talk, and then we also had China and how it continuously attacks Bitcoin. <laughs> so I want to do something where we discuss those two things and the panels that discuss them and, and do it in a way where it's very much uh, fluid. So. Let's first let's first get into the Bitcoin mining stuff and the ESG um, narrative that's being spread amongst the industry right now. And let's discuss that because I think that's the most important part about consensus, right? Is what does the industry think about what is going on with all this? 
Let's dive into that now. where where things happen in the bitcoin and the crypto space where you know it it feels like a week has happened in a day and then there are days where it feels like a month has happened in a day well it's true literally i started recording the podcast yesterday around 5 p.m right it took me a really long time to edit we finally got done around 3 a.m released it to y'all right and then Lo and behold, I see that all hell has broken loose around Michael Saylor after he tweeted that yesterday I was pleased to host the meeting between Elon Musk and the leading Bitcoin miners in North America. The miners have agreed to form the Bitcoin Mining Council to promote energy usage, transparency and accelerate sustainability initiatives worldwide. Well, previous an hour to that before Elon Musk tweeted, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage and to ask miners worldwide to do so, potentially promising. Then Michael Saylor tags all the executives from some of the biggest Bitcoin mining corporations, not all of them, not all of them, but some of the biggest ones like Argo Blockchain, BlockCap, Core Scientific, Galaxy Digital, which are now into mining, High Blockchain, HUD8 Mining, Marathon, and Riot Blockchain. These aren't all the Bitcoin miners in North America. These are only some of them were present and decided to establish an organization to standardize energy reporting, pursue industry ESG goals, and educate and grow the marketplace. This is coming from Michael Saylor yesterday afternoon, right? So ESG. <laughs> oh man, ESG. If you ever have a term that really, you know, is the poster child <laughs> for 2021 in the Bitcoin and crypto space, it would be ESG. 
It's environmental, social, and corporate governance. And you're probably wondering, Carr, where did this come from? Well, I can explain it to you. <laughs> the thing is, and I, I'm not trying to sound conspiratorial because this is just how the way it goes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, I've been following, you know, the, the Bitcoin and crypto space for, you know, since 2017. Um, ha- having, ha- doing that and, and kind of going to these conferences and, and, and how uh, and understanding how media works and understanding like the behind the scenes, you know, inner workings of it all and, and how these different companies in the space operate and how the PR companies in the space operate. Um, and I'm not saying any names, you know, there's one big PR company in the space, how they operate. Um, I'm not trying to throw anybody on their bus, but I'm trying to give you an inside look into how that functions. Well, kind of going through this all, you know, my understanding is that this narrative about ESG, this this narrative about the environment and about social and, and corporate governance, you know, it all stems from the World Economic Forum, right? And and so when people start talking about these things, they're misinformed because they don't know who the World Economic Forum is, right? All they know is these are the same people that brought you. <laughs> these are the same people that brought you COVID. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's just going to be a running joke from now on. I'm sorry. Same people who brought you COVID, the World Economic Forum. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? They're, they're basically an independent international organization committed to improving the state of the world by engaging in business, politi- politics, academics, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, some of the things that, that they do and their agenda is spreading, you know, across multiple bigger organizations. And we're actually going to be doing, and this is kind of what I was talking about yesterday. I'm going to be, I don't want to go too into the weeds right now because I'm going to be doing a whole show about all of this here. Probably in the weekend, um, because I think this needs to be explained out uh, and how it relates to Bitcoin. Uh, and then we're going to be doing a whole another show that I'm still kind of researching. So don't worry about all this stuff. I'm kind of giving you the, kind of the top level overview, but I'm, I really want to explain how all of this kind of functions. But so what economic forum, basically they kind of set this agenda and I'm not, I'm not trying to say like an agenda, like a conspiracy theory or anything like that, but you know, they have this thing that they, you know, do every year and that's called, Davos, <laughs> right? And, you know, it's called this this great reset. And um, the, the agenda for Davos this year was the great reset. And it was built around sustainability, about around green energy, uh, around all this kind of social good. And on the surface, that seems all well and fine. And you can go back and listen to our Davos coverage because we covered it this year, right? This is one of the reasons why... <laughs> I was like, you know, we kind of have to cover that because I didn't have a feeling like this was going to happen, but I knew that Bitcoin was becoming this world dominating kind of currency. And I know that a lot of these, you know, oligarchs in the world and these uh, fiat maximalists who control the narrative for the world, you know, attend these conferences. So it only makes sense that we cover something 
um, like that to understand what their agenda is. <laughs> and so we knew this was kind of coming. We just didn't know how they were going to, I don't want to use the word attack, but I don't, you know, it, I just, we weren't sure how it was going to affect Bitcoin. Right. So with all that being said, I think everybody in the Bitcoin crypto space, they see what's going on right now. They, they understand this ESG, you know, kind of thing, but they don't know where it's coming from. And once you kind of look at it, like we have, you start understanding that it's a world economic forum. It's coming from Davos, it's coming from these elites. And then if you go even further back, and this is where I don't want to get too in the weeds, but it all traces back to COVID. And it all traces back to when trillions of dollars were handed to BlackRock and how BlackRock issued out a statement saying, we are not going to be investing in companies who are not sustainably green, right? And this is including China, who also got a really nice sized chunk of change <laughs> in Davos of this year uh, to get green by 20, 2040, I believe. So I sent out a tweet this morning because to be honest with y'all, I'm still, I'm one of those people that I, I love to do a lot of research before I kind of go and make a statement about where this all is. And I think even right now by talking about it, is kind of shooting off the hip. So I do apologize in advance if I change my um, statement later once I do a podcast uh, around what I'm kind of creating here uh, for this weekend uh, in relation to the World Economic Forum, in relation to Bitcoin, and that kind of narrative that's that's happening right now underneath the surface that a lot of people aren't really seeing. And I think we can kind of bring clarity to that. So I do apologize in advance if I kind of change my narrative later this weekend, just because I feel like right now I'm shooting off the hip. But, you know, I feel like we have to deliver something today because of consensus day two. So and I really don't want to leave you in the dark with what's going on, too, because that's that's not good either. So uh, I feel kind of torn. Right. So just kind of know what I told you right here at the top of the show is very much a it's fact based but it's not well-researched, fact-based information as of yet. Still to be determined. How about that? Okay. Um, with all that being said, I sent out a tweet this, this morning, and you know this kind of is still my kind of running theme for this all. Still gathering my thoughts on the North American Bitcoin Mining Council. I'm a slower thinker <laughs> and gatherer of information than most. Still researching, and from what I know already about the WEF, which is World Economic Forum, BIS, Bank of International Settlements, and Gene-E, which is a green energy movement, it's systemic and all-encompassing to the structure of society. And that's what most people aren't realizing, is that this movement that we're seeing right now it's not just affecting Bitcoin. Uh, it's affecting every sector of, 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 of society. And this is a systemic movement that's all encompassing. And it's going to reach every corner uh, of, of the workplace, of our lives, of your towns, of your homes, of your cities. Um, this, this, is what, this is what they do. And when I say they, I mean the people who control the narrative. And this is not conspiratorial. It's just, this is the way it is. This is, this is, this is the world that we live in, right? Um, 
And once you start understanding that, you get a clearer picture of who's really in charge. And I'm not saying these people are evil, because I don't think they are, right? Um, and I'm not saying that they have a they have a uh, you know a bad outlook on everything. I just think that, to be honest with you, there should be more inclusion of regular people. Uh, it should be a decentralized uh, governance of a sort. Um, there shouldn't be an elite group kind of deciding for everybody, right? Like, why do they decide for what my family does every day? Why do they think they know best? <laughs> shouldn't I know best for what I think is best for my family? Um, so I think that's what is really going on. And like I said, we'll we'll do a whole show on that and we'll cover that more in depth. But as of right now, let's jump into... That's right. Let's jump into this whole kind of, you know, Bitcoin mining debate and this ESG debate, because this is kind of what's taken over Bitcoin the past. I don't know. It hasn't even been. Well, yeah, I guess it has been 24 hours. This is kind of what's been talked about the past 24 hours. It's kind of took over consensus day two, to be honest with you. Um, and this has a little bit of information from yesterday, from day one and, and day two, but I decided to merge it together because this all feels like one big conversation. And so what you're going to hear is just a complete boom <laughs> of, of opinions from industry leaders, from people in the know about what's really going on with Bitcoin mining and ESG and what you need to know to understand all of this better. And that's what this is all about. We just need to know how this affects us who are either in the Bitcoin and crypto space listening to this or regular holders of Bitcoin. Okay. situations he talks about is investment in a surveillance state, unfortunately, and for 
cypherpunks and people who came at cryptography or crypto or digital money from a privacy point of view, that's a kind of scary world where there's kind of a you know minority report, you're always being watched. And if you misuse a technology, some governance structure comes come comes in and takes care of you. Um, that's not a, a future I want to build. Uh, that's not a future I'm excited about. So um, one of the biggest parts that's not addressed and I think needs more attention, and this is where I think Bitcoin offers uh, and crypto offers so much opportunity, is addressing some of the gaps in wealth, uh, you know, income, wealth inequality, access to financial, trust in governance, trust in governments. And if you look at the trends of transparency, auditability, verifiability that blockchain and crypto can provide and some of the economic empowerment, you start to kind of posit some world futures where you can see that the role that Bitcoin could play in actually allowing a population that's being forced to migrate through economic or climate-related migration access to opportunity, access to jobs, access to income, all of a sudden start to reduce the threat model because, you know, if you have a society of have and have-nots, Jeff Booth describes this very well by saying, name one point in history when the haves could build walls big enough to keep the have-nots outside. And in a world of advanced technology with microscopic drones and, you know, a whole bunch of opportunity to, you know, attack the other side, we have to address something that raises everyone's uh, income inequality, income level. And I think crypto offers that opportunity. So it seems like a, a have more haves and less have nots is one of, one of the solutions here. You know, we spoke about this a couple of uh, days ago, Austin, and I was talking to you about the project at the WEF that we're looking to, to develop here. And it struck me when I spoke to you that what you're talking about is a classic cryptographer's approach to these problems. That is like, it's, it's threat modeling and you just use those words. You start with this possible threat and you work backwards from that. And that got me thinking about how, you know, sort of some, some umbrella group for dealing with ESGs could take this approach. Describe for us in this case how that would work, this idea of, you know, of almost re reverse engineering the threat to find the solutions. Well, if you imagine a future society or state at some point in the future, 10, 15 years in the future, um, many Bitcoiners and people in the crypto community believe that currency wars, uh, hyperinflation, um, uh, some sort of reset is going to be necessary. There's going to be impoverished, uh, you know, economically deprived people who are living in regimes or under regimes that we see currently happening in Venezuela and other uh, parts of the world where they don't have access to good governance, good government. Uh, they don't have access to economic empowerment. And so economic migration and combined with climate migration is a force function that you have to accept is going to be occurring. And so you say, okay, if all these people are going to be moving through society, moving through uh, our lands, moving through our borders, and they show up and we don't have a fixable immigration system, integration system, we don't have a place to put or integrate these people, then you kind of end up with a threat that you can't win. Because, you know, assuming that these people are just going to be happy in that state and have no response is not a, a workable answer. So you then backtrack and say, OK, what can we actually do 
to create or reduce the amount of impoverishment that exists there. And, uh, you know, the same way that America invested in Radio Free America and published the idea of the shiny city and the hill, you know, on the hill and democracy and public, you know, free media in, a, in communities that were behind the, you know, Berlin Wall and imagine the idea of a free government. I think we need to be promoting monetary going to nations and actually starting to talk about sustainable energy, renewable grids, technological empowerment around green energy, and monetary freedom. And unfortunately, that's not a popular idea because, you know, a lot of our foreign uh, efforts rely on debt, rely on extending kind of the fiat regime that is petrodollar-based, but there is a world where you go in and you actually say, we want you to show up at our borders, coming in and saying, hey, I just bought a house. I'm moving in. I have an online job. I've been working remotely. I would like to immigrate, please. I would like to be part of your society. And with you know satellite internet and with all the technologies that exist, that be- then becomes a very easy integration or a more manageable migration because it's not about have and have nots. It's about someone who had an opportunity and access to opportunity was not denied that because their entire wealth and all their monetary savings were robbed by some despot leader who hmm. you know, devalued their currency and lost a currency war with the United States. Um, I used to work in the energy industry before I started working in the Bitcoin industry. And there are two conversations we need to have here. One is around the sources of energy. And at the end of the day, you know, my computer is plugged into my wall right now. I don't dictate what my sources of energy are. The the grid dictates that. And in most countries, um, the grid is not centrally planned. There are a variety of economic incentives and market incentives that predicate and dictate the type of energy production that exists on that grid. So we really need to separate the argument into its two components. If we want to talk about the sources of energy, um, that is very difficult to track unless a mining facility is directly co-located with renewable energy production. It is very challenging for any miner plugged into the grid to verify where the electrons they're using are coming from. However, this is a trend we're seeing and a trend we track at CoinShares. In 2018, we published one of the first bottoms-up industry research reports where our research team actually spent six months interviewing, talking to, calling miners to find out what machines they were running, um, where they were running them, and we've collaborated closely with Cambridge over the years. So we've shared a lot of our, our pains on trying to gather this data. Um, And that's how we were able to confirm that over 70% of Bitcoin mining was in fact done with renewables, in particular hydroelectric power from the Sichuan region of China, because miners will actually physically co-locate next to a hydroelectric facility and plug the miners into that renewable power source. But I think the challenge starts to become, um, we're talking here about sources of energy. On the topic of uses of energy, it's very difficult to have a conversation about the uses of energy that's objective. It's highly subjective. 
subjective. I could say Christmas lights are a terrible use of energy. And every year, Christmas lights consume more energy than the Bitcoin network. I could say hair dryers are a bad use of energy. So it's very difficult. Um, and the country comparison, I think, is fraught with some challenges. Again, the Bitcoin network today secures over a trillion dollars worth of value. Proof of work it was is what secures that, that trillion dollars worth of value. Do you put a trillion dollar economy on par with, you know, a half a trillion dollar economy? You know, probably. So I think when we start getting into these comparative discussions around uses of energy, um, it's very difficult to have an objective conversation. And so the challenge is always, um, you know, energy markets are dictated by the prices people are willing to pay. Bitcoin naturally is incentivized to seek out the lowest cost source of energy, which typically is stranded renewables or other forms of energy that are produced in an abundant fashion. And Bitcoin is actually a great load balancer for energy grids because it can consume peak demand generation during periods of low demand and help offtake energy that otherwise would go wasted. So again, if I could just stress any one point with people who are watching, um, it's very important to separate uses of energy. That's a macro problem, policy driven, very much set at the state level. And again, let's not forget European Union every year gives $50 billion in direct subsidies to the oil industry, right? <laughs> so in the US, it's 20 billion of direct subsidies to the oil and gas industry. So the incentives here really matter and they're hard for the Bitcoin industry to control. And when it comes to uses of energy, it's very difficult to have an objective argument about something that's deeply subjective and in many instances, I think, is deeply personal for people. Um, but the problem is, of course, as prices rise and margins improve, miners are incentivized to use dirty sources of power because they, they can. They can make money from this. It's a kind but, of a neutral okay, exercise. So, so how, but, but, well, the question is simply like, how do we get those incentives in the right place? Is that a role for councils like the group that was formed yesterday or is this something that governments really should, need to be driving? Um, I want to first object to the use of the of the word dirty. Um, I think that's a very loaded word. When we describe energy, like you're using energy right now to power your computer, is that energy dirty? Yeah, so I think a big it, chunk it, of it, yes. It, would, it, it definitely is. I'm not disputing that by any stretch. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. So, so I have again, a problem with I'm problem the whole grid rather than you know my, the use of this. I, I, I'm like you. I'm concerned about the sources and the policies that drive what our sources are. And how can we use this technology in some respects to drive the changes of that sources? Sure. So, so let's be very clear. Um, one of the most important things about the Bitcoin network is that it is decentralized in all aspects. Um, the physical implementation of the Bitcoin network in the form of mining is a very important part of the network. And it's finally starting to get the location and hosting services that are emerging, similar to how the early internet peering or data center business started. Um, and in my view, every business who's serious about Bitcoin should be running its own physical infrastructure that I think will be a big shift as we move forward into the future. Now they'll use third parties who are experts in that to do it. But here's the most important thing. Um, what we're seeing right now, and one of the things I'm working on at CoinShares is investing in mining businesses and startup miners who are directly co-locating with renewable energy facilities. But more important than that, they're actually enabling new renewable energy production to come onto the grid by using Bitcoin mining as an economic incentive to make that facility economically viable. And so what's really interesting to me here is if we can use Bitcoin mining as an economic tool to bring more renewables onto 
the grid, we've just found a really great way to use a private sector solution to solve a failure in public policy. And I think one of the big trends we will see in the energy industry, and again, this is what I did for seven years before I did Bitcoin for seven years. Um, one of the big shifts we will see, I think, is a shift towards more decentralized, localized, smaller scale power production. And that's something I'm really excited about. Um, this is something that's been problematic in the U.S. where renewables cannot be contributed back into the grid. It's very difficult, um, you know, for people who are producing in excess of renewables to put those into the grid unless they're of a certain size. So I think generally, as we start to see more localized, smaller scale renewable energy production to make that economically feasible or balance those loads with Bitcoin mining, we'll also start to see more resilient energy grids emerge and in particular energy grids that could potentially be independent of the fossil fuel um, industry and the fossil fuel industry complex. So there are a lot of interesting shifts afoot, um, but I think the important thing here is to have calm, rational, fact-based discussions. But unfortunately, when talking about climate these days, it seems very difficult to do that. All dishes are not alike. I recommend it and use it. Great licks. Thank you. And use it and use it and use it. Yay. The Bitcoin algorithm is designed to be ruthless in its drive for the lowest cost. And the lowest cost is renewable energy. So miners have an incentive to go find the lowest cost energy anywhere in the world. And that's what we've been doing. And we're just seeing that start to accelerate faster and faster now. We've deployed $225 million into the North American ecosystem. We've launched a North American pool. We have an advisory services to help folks uh, navigate the mining space. And most of our efforts have actually been focused on renewable energy projects because that's where uh, the opportunity lies for the lowest cost um, uh, energy. So we've committed another $50 million towards uh, miners that want to pursue projects where we're co-locating with hydro, with solar, with wind. Um, they're focused on flare gas or immersion technology, which opens up a lot of future opportunities for miners. So it's exciting times. I mean, this is the one thing I will say is the Bitcoin industry moves faster than any other industry I've ever seen in my career. And uh, it's, it's happening whether... Um, whether people want it to or not, it's just going to play out that way. And uh, I think sometimes the media has a hard time accepting that, like accepting the fact that it's going to go in that direction. Channel 61. You did a thing you gave me something new I really like. Yeah, so I think um, just zooming out, it, it's, it's much broader than this concept of traditional carbon offsets, which generally speaking are deeply distrusted by the um, energy and sustainability community. What we're really focused on, not just at EnergyWeb, but also under this um, uh, initiative called the Crypto Climate Accord, which we've spoken about before, um, th the focus is really threefold to try and crack this problem. Part one, get everybody to agree on a baseline. Nobody agrees on the baseline for how much electricity the Bitcoin network is using. And so there's some work to do there. Part two, enable miners, crypto holders, exchanges, wallet providers, and other crypto market participants to near-term make their crypto green. Now that might be through purchasing um, offsets. It could also be through investing in new renewable energy facilities. It could also be through purchasing other renewable energy products. But the third thing that I think is most um, uh, relevant because of the, the tweets that you were mentioning, et cetera, from uh, Mr. Saylor and Mr. Musk um, has to do with those Bitcoin miners that were part of this, um, this council um, that seems to be coming together. 
And what I would say to them is don't trust, verify. The opportunity we have with Bitcoin mining in particular is to develop what I would call a green hash rate kind of solution for the planet, which is a near real-time read on the actual carbon intensity of the Bitcoin network. Uh, Forget survey data, forget forget self-reporting and doing some analysis on top of that. We have the technology to surface information about Bitcoin mines in a privacy-preserving way in order to actually see how green or not the Bitcoin network is globally. So these miners that are coming together, I hope they're going to do more than do some self-reported survey data. Uh, I hope they engage with us to actually build this green hash rate solution that coincidentally, um, some of those miners are part of Argo Blockchain, one of the groups that was noted in that tweet. They're actually a CCA supporter, and we're already working with them on this green hash rate solution. That's the real long-term path to fully decarbonizing Bitcoin. Raquel Welch is our rough, tough freedom fighter. You'll find that the council wants to be open to anybody who's a miner, and it's really about sharing best practices. So education and sharing best practices, being transparent about energy, has nothing to do with control. It has nothing to do with changing anything. It's really just how do we as an industry make ourselves more institutional grade? I think on this program, you and your colleagues have talked a lot about ESG and institutional investors and why this is important. We're a publicly traded company with over a $2 billion market cap. ESG is important to our shareholders. It's important to us. And for that reason, we're very focused on doing what we can to make sure the industry operates in as environmentally conscious a way as possible. And that's really our initiative in this and our interest in this. Nobody's trying to centralize or control anything here. Hi, Fred. Did, did, did Elon Musk specifically discuss solar energy with the group? Or with you Again, separately? per my prior comment, I wasn't on the call, so I can't comment uh, on what was said or not said. Do you know if Tesla's providing solar panels to, to the miners specifically? Was he uh, discussing even giving a group discount? Again, I wasn't on the call, so I can't comment on that. Um, has is he, he providing has he, solar panels t- to the industry? I, you know, I don't know. I would have to ask my colleagues in the industry. Uh, we don't use has he, their technology. Has he talked about providing solar energy to, to Marathon specifically? It's a $1 billion part of his company and $1 billion in revenue in the past 12 months. Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Um, though, again, as I said on Fox, uh, I definitely would love to talk to him about collaborating on things. And he is collaborating with the council. So I think we'll eventually we'll see what comes of that. Fred, there are a lot of great. Do you, yes. Do you suspect that maybe some of the this uh, cage rattling that happened uh, earlier this week is maybe uh, to to convince the uh, miners in North America, at least to to buy his solar panels? <laughs> well, you know, Elon Musk makes more money by selling carbon credits than he does by selling uh, solar panels. So I think if you were to look at the reasonings, you would see that. He actually is in the business of selling uh, energy credits, and we would be a potential buyer of those energy credits. So that's how we could do business with Elon, definitely. Uh, you know, one thing I, I will clarify, as a miner, we don't actually operate power plants. We buy power from power operators and power generators. Um, and that's a mix of power across a variety of different renewable types um, and across other spectrums. So we don't operate because we don't operate facilities. We're not the customer of the solar panels. That being said, I think the industry has uh, some great opportunities to leverage renewable sources by placing mining facilities at the energy source and not having to deal with energy transmission issues. Mm-hmm. And as uh, I said earlier, you know, energy transmission is a huge loss of power in this country. Uh, and globally, Michael. it's actually much higher than 5%. 
Fred, Michael yes. Saylor has also talked about standardizing energy reporting to achieve industry ESG goals. Can you tell us a bit about what that reporting might look like? Um, you know, I think it's very early days yet. Um, but typically, if you think about miners, we talk about everything in kilowatt hours or megawatt hours. And some standardized reporting KPIs, if you would, could um, look at renewable energy mix per kilowatt hour consumed. Uh, it could look at regionally where that energy comes from. Um, potentially, the uh, group could publish data regarding uh, opportunities for miners to get even lower cost energy by using different practices. So there's an education piece to it. There's a reporting piece to it. Uh, and I think the reporting is really just clarifying. If you look at the overall energy picture, the panorama in this country and in the world, um, where does Bitcoin mining uh, fit into that? What's its scope? What's its scale? What's its energy mix? And really just to educate the world that uh, we're really moving towards more of an environmentally conscious model. The major problem is that grizzly bears are dangerous. They will attack and kill human beings. Sam, quickly, what do you think about this uh, North American mining meaning? Is this, is this, you know, against the spirit of decentralization in crypto? I mean, it's like... Right, you, you open sort of like the, this this interesting can of worms where what if you have a completely open network and the big open players on this open network openly and without any coercion decide to collaborate with each other? Is that decentralization, right? Um, and it, I mean, it's a little bit of a definitional issue. Um, you know, I think that, first of all, the most important thing by far is that it remains open, that anyone can 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 mine. And as long as that's true, it gives you some some sort of um, some guarantees here that, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, if, if they try to do some sort of OPEC like thing, it won't work because anyone can come in and mine Bitcoin. Right. And, and, and so if they're like, oh, we're just all going to like lower hash rates, then like whatever, you'll just start mining, you know, if, if it's economically efficient. So, um, uh, so, so I, I do think that there's a substantial protection against some of the worries there, uh, which, which helps a lot, but um uh, but you know, I would say that um, I, I, that it is is a little bit of a weird occurrence. I think it's a healthy occurrence in some ways because I think that you know there is a lot of stupid dialogue going on about ESG and stupid, not in the sense that ESG is stupid, but that the dialogue was, um, and that the dialogue was centered around name calling and centered around you know one side saying Bitcoin was trashing the planet and the other side saying. Uh, lol, these fucking noobs complaining about Bitcoin, they're going to get wrecked, roughly speaking. And, and I think neither of those were sort of like the healthy response, uh, which I think was something more like, all right, let's do the math. Let's figure out if this is a significant concern. And if so, let's figure out how we can address it. And I think the answer is right now, it's not a huge concern, but if, if crypto gets huge, and you could imagine it being one. Uh, but I, I think there are ways to address it. I think, you know, especially with Ethereum eventually moving to proof of stake, um, you know, most of the major cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin will be substantially less energy intensive. And so I think that's one piece of it. Um, but then I think even within proof of work, um, you know, it's not prohibitively expensive to buy carbon offsets. And that's something we've been looking into and that we've pledged to start doing now to offset, you know, the energy usage that FTX has. Um, and, and then I think the other thing here um, is that, you know, you can you can move to clean energy, which is a lot of what uh, what I think that 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 sort of meeting was about um, between the North American miners. And I think all of those are healthy um, healthy responses to it. So, you know, I, I think really what I'd say here um, is, 
you know, as long as it remains an open network that anyone can compete with, um, I think that 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 sort of really um, makes the worries here a lot less um, a lot mm-hmm. less big, uh, which is nice. Sam, you're doing big things. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for sharing your insights and perspective from the Asian markets. Yeah, so you kind of got the uh, rapid fire approach to what kind of happened today with ESG, Bitcoin mining, and how all that affects Bitcoin, right? And my first thing was, where's a Bitcoiner? (laughs) When did the Bitcoiners get to speak, right? Because all you hear there is from technologists, industry leaders, people of the Bitcoin mining sector, pretty much the industry, right? And it was kind of weird too, because Consensus had somebody from the World Economic Forum, which was really kind of creepy, um, asking questions. Um, That's why I'm saying it's very much on the nose with what's going on here. Uh, I don't think people recognize how infiltrated a lot of this has already become. Um, So with all that being said, We need to hear from a Bitcoiner. We need to hear from somebody who, I'm not going to say who speaks for the plebs, but who is a pleb himself, right? And I think there's nobody better than Marty Bent, right? He has probably one of my favorite podcasts in the space, you know? And I'm going to play from you now from yesterday where he talks about how this really affects, you know, the underlining narrative of it all right and uh one of the interesting things i thought was really cool and you know i'll I'll put a i'll put a uh i'll put a picture in the show notes or actually no i think i tweeted it out um yeah I, i tweeted it out so just go check on twitter um from from monday is uh when marty did the uh the coin desk uh panel he had the same cover art 
as our Bitcoin Fights Back Thriller Coin Talk episode from last week. So I don't know. Marty, if you're listening, pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe we just have the same taste in art. <laughs> uh, if not, you know, it's it's cool to have you as a subscriber. I didn't know. <laughs> we really try on our cover art. <laughs> we really do. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about what's going to be on the front cover of our episodes. Minus, you know, this week, of course, because of consensus. But even that, that looks better than what consensus was pumping out. <laughs> it's like, it's like, who's in their creative department at Coindesk? Like, come on, man, like get creative there. Anyway, <laughs> let's hear from Marty as he talks about uh, what's really going on here. adversarial thinker in me wants to say that we we don't have the luxury of waiting it out because if you want to attack bitcoin bitcoin is an affront to power over the purse for for governments and central banks across the world and that is a very uh, strong power that they like to have and uh, to think that we have the luxury to wait out the the energy fud which i think is probably one of the the best lines of attack that that governments and vested interest have against bitcoin because it gets people very emotional um I, I i don't think we should wait it out i think that may be the case where we just have to wait wait it out there's been uh, a bunch of tweets going out about people uh, complaining about the internet's energy consumption in the early 90s saying that it takes takes like four uh four lumps of coal to send an email or something like that maybe we're going through a similar process with bitcoin right now but uh as bitcoiners we should have adversarial thinking when it comes to this and i think we should get out in front of it and highlight the hypocrisy of everything the sg movement is a complete accounting scam that, that gives uh subsidies and carbon credits to to companies that just masquerade their carbon consumption i mean it came out last week that a lot of the solar panels and wind turbines that are made uh, are made over in china guess what they use an ex insane amount of coal and slave labor to build that stuff so they're just masquerading the their 
their carbon output and the fact that they're using slave labor to get their end product and then buying it back from China. Uh, and then they're able to to play as a part of this accounting scam known as carbon credits. And they're leading to the misallocation of capital, like Ethan mentioned. You're starting to see miners here in North America buy offsets like that is a misallocation of capital. Like like Ethan said, we should be allocating that capital, make more efficient uh, more efficient mining operations instead of having to play this this completely, uh, frankly, bullshit accounting system that that is completely anathema to Bitcoin. Bitcoin, the ledger, provides objective truth to the world via its proof of work consensus mechanism with a difficulty adjustment. As Bitcoiners, we should seek objective truth outside of Bitcoin as well. And playing again into the framing of a group of hysterics and vested interests who serve to make an insane amount of money from this accounting scam will not do us do as well at the end of the day. Again, Bitcoin is a front to the power over money and it is a very strong power. There, the nothing will ever be good enough for these hysterics. You can go to a completely renewable, and that's so. That's the other thing. Like this, this just proves that these people don't care about like energy consumption. They care about control. Like if the, the like Bitcoin as an industry, Bitcoin mining has the highest penetration of renewables as a source of energy production. I think across any industry in the world, and yet we get picked on. Like they don't care about clean energy; they care about control. This is also evidenced by the fact that you have a number of nuclear power plants being decommissioned all throughout the United States, literally at zero carbon emissions when it's up and running. Like that is the cleanest form of energy, and it's being decommissioned across across the country. Like falling into this framing, and this framing of a debate from a side does not want to be upfront with the trade offs or actually speak from a place of objective truth is not a winning strategy we need to reframe it like the the uh title of this this panel and create yeah. our own framing bitcoin's extremely energy efficient it ushers in sound monetary policy it'll lead to less capital misallocation i'm not sure i agree with sort of the invisible hand of, of the man sort of taking over the the financial world so to speak i'm maybe a bit of a pragmatist as it relates to the the capital deployment uh comment that you made the fact of the matter is with more renewables, the grid is faced with a very stark reality. It either needs to spend billions of dollars putting in new battery banks, like California is in the process of doing right now, in, in, uh, or it needs to essentially have variable demand, um, or what we oftentimes refer to as the megawatt, the, the, the watt never produced, um, if you will. And we've seen that across um, you know, we saw that in, in Texas in early February when the when the market needed to call upon more power and a lot of stuff came offline. It called upon those operations that could shut down in those moments. The alternative is hundreds of millions of dollars in new peaker plants, billions of dollars in battery banks, which is a very inefficient application of capital, or it can match dynamic load, if you will, like Bitcoin mining with dynamic supply, meaning renewables. And so this, this sort of false dichotomy that's created between the two. And I think I do agree with Marty on the inefficient use of capital. There's no way that it makes sense for us to put in billions of billions of dollars. And, and, and by the way, I believe that, uh, that Elon Musk suddenly finding religion around power uses may have something to do with the fact that Intermittent demand is the same thing as a battery. 
So the Bitcoin network has the ability to be a direct competitor to his primary business. I'm guessing that's part of the realization that's getting faced right now is that, is that data centers that can interrupt are just like a battery bank. The difference is, is that they can actually respond over longer periods of time. No battery bank could have handled four days down in, uh, in Texas. Uh, and, and the distributed network of Bitcoin has the opportunity to, to do that. interesting that conversation you had two people with two different opinions right on opposite sides there tad the person who spoke last interesting enough got a uh, covid ppp loan (laughs) for his company Uh, it makes sense why he uh, answered that way and doesn't believe what the quote unquote visible hand <laughs> I like the way he put it um it's because he's biased as fuck <laughs> right he doesn't want to uh, bite the hand that feeds and of course i posted that in chat yesterday and of course it got blocked uh, <laughs> that just shows you independent thought in this industry is not allowed um this is why um you know Failure X recordings exist is because um, you need this kind of independent thought in our space. It's important um, because when and how and and if they should ever, you know, infiltrate and become part of this industry, you're going to need independent journalists and you're going to need independent media companies to step up and cover this space with a unbiased approach. And um, you can't do that if um, the coin desks of the world are, you know, are no better than the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post 
or the New York Times or the CNBCs or the Fox Newses or the NBCs or whoever, right? They're all they're all the same, all the mainstream newses. And um, this is why this is why that's important because um, you really need to just leave the facts on the table and say this is what's really going on here. And uh, like Marty said, um, this is important. One thing that he left out there, and this is just me, you know, fact checking everything. Um, he's right. Nuclear energy is clean. It's clean as it comes. The problem with nuclear energy, though, is the rods that are replaced when they are taken from the facility and have to be stored away. That's a problem with nuclear energy. You just don't know where else we can store it, <laughs> right? So if you if you look at uh, America's nuclear facilities, um, we have like basements in Nevada where we have just these rods from you know, the 50s and the 60s that are still there because we never, we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so the plan was back then was to take these rods, store them away, put them underground. And at some point, we'll figure out a way in the future to, um, to get rid of it. Uh, and uh, that's, that's the only problem with nuclear energy is that... Uh, once these rods are having to be replaced or you have to uh, get rid of them, the only place to get rid of them is to store them underground in these facilities. And uh, it's the future's problem. So, okay. With that, let's jump into what Micro Saylor has to say because he's the star of the show, <laughs> right? And I'm starting to realize what Michael Saylor does. Um, uh, he... You know, and this is just me kind of just watching his kind of his moves throughout the year. And just since he's entered this space from last year and kind of how he navigates everything. He has a way of I'm not going to use the word controversy, but he has a way of spinning up um, dialogue and um, moving the narrative forward. Um, and I wouldn't even say it's in a malicious way or anything like that, but he, he it's almost like he, uh, he likes to rock the boat <laughs> when it gets too boring for him. And, and that's just my observation, right? I could be wrong, but that's just kind of my observation of, uh, of him, uh, just kind of, you know, watching the space over this past year and a half. And I think, I think what occurred yesterday was, was just that was, uh, him tweeting that out. And uh, rocking the boat a little bit and kind of uh, coming to consensus today, knowing that, you know, there was going to be something that he needed to talk about and then having the opportunity to talk about that. And so here he is at consensus uh, explaining everything that occurred um, with the whole Bitcoin mining meeting that occurred over this past weekend. And uh, he talks about Elon and all that stuff. And then Michael Sonnenstein, he's the um, the CEO of Grayscale Investments, and he's there too, and he chimes in as well too. So let's uh, let's take a listen to what Michael Saylor has to say about all this um, kind of 
controversy that is, I guess it is a controversy, controversy that is kind of stirred up because he sent out a tweet yesterday afternoon. Let's do it. You know, Elon uh, is a big believer in, in crypto technology as a force for freedom, and he's a big believer in Bitcoin as uh, as a long-term store of value. And, and he's uh, expressed that sentiment in a number of ways, including taking a multi-billion-dollar position in Bitcoin. Uh, I think we all know he expressed a concern that uh, he didn't want to see Bitcoin be the catalyst. Uh, to bring to life uh, dirty fossil fuels. And that created a bit of a Twitter stir. And uh, that caused Bitcoin uh, to dominate the news cycle all last week across the mainstream media. And uh, I think it became pretty clear that, um, that we have a, the Bitcoiners, we have a good story, uh, but it's a very complicated story. And uh, we need to find a way to uh, share our story and, and, to, and to educate and get organized. So I, th I think if, uh, my first thought was there's no point in us tweeting back and forth at each other because I don't think 280 character Twitters are, are right ways to, uh, to educate the public and build consensus. So um, I reached out to Elon and I, uh, and I spoke with him and we had a very long conversation and and from that, uh, I asked him to if he had relationships or had met with the Bitcoin miners. And he, Elon has expressed, right, on the record, he said he thought 
we would all benefit if we were able to publish energy usage and source of energy usage data. It turns out that Bitcoin miners don't actually um, have a good forum for communicating how they generate their energy. We don't have a, stared, a shared common model for Bitcoin energy usage uh, right now. And we don't have a future forecast uh, model that we uh, that we commonly use. So we're allowing other journalists in the mainstream media or just anybody that wants to, to make up their own model. Um, the most famous one being the boil the oceans by 2020 model that's going to cause the planet to overheat by two centigrade and kill us all. But uh, and that's still it's still ratcheting around. Right. So we have some bad models. And, uh, I, you know, I happen to have a fairly uh, nuanced model. My view is that energy usage is, you know, energy efficiency is, is, um, is growing exponentially. You know, the S19 miners are, are increasing by a factor of five in energy efficiency versus the S9s. And, and between the halvings and the shift to transaction fees and the upgrade of the miners, we're going to see energy efficiency increase exponentially and energy usage decrease. Recently, I don't think there's any models or any understanding of how that's working. And it's a fairly complicated subject. I mean, it would take me about half an hour on your on your uh, podcast here. I don't think we could talk about it. But what I uh, what I can say is I had some detailed discussions and, and I asked Elon if he had relationships with the miners and he said he'd like to meet them. So uh, I reached out to the miners and I asked them if they'd like to meet Elon Musk. And they said, yes, they would. And so we set up the meeting because um, he wanted to understand how they're mining and what their plans and futures are. And they wanted to understand his concerns. And we wanted to understand how we could be the good guys in the entire ESG debate, because I think that Bitcoin is they are the good people. We are actually driving sustainability. It is a it is a great way to recycle wasted energy. And we have a great energy story. And so I, I think that the group came together to uh, to get uh, Elon's uh, thoughts and for us to brainstorm on what we can do in order to communicate constructively to the entire industry uh, and avoid reinventing the wheel. Right. Because if there's 200 miners and each one of them has to develop their own model of the future of Bitcoin mining for the next 20 years and figure out what to say and who to say it to. And, you know, it gets pretty complicated and none of them have a, a, a voice or a platform to get their message through. So uh, I thought it was a very constructive meeting. Uh, I think we do have a great story. I think we're all committed um, to, uh, to taking that message out to institutional investors and, and to refining it. And I think Elon's first order ask was, was, hey, can we come up with a way to, to uh, publish or create transparency for Bitcoin mining energy usage. I saw something on Twitter today that suggested that Bitcoin is, is two or three X as, as sustainable as other energy users. That's the kind of story we need to get out, but we need to legitimize it by having really good data. So I think the, I think the first step is is let's come up with a, a, a protocol for us to publish energy information and then a way that we can share it with the world and then uh, work together uh, to make sure that we pursue sustainable energy goals because that does uh, – because it's true, A, B, because it will actually 
ensure that the mainstream news cycles are positive and not negative. And that will give institutional investors comfort as they enter the space and not cause them to pause. Yeah, Michael, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Noel, if I could just jump in for a sec. I think, you know, the past few weeks when we've had this kind of renewed focus on ESG concerns around Bitcoin or digital currency mining, I think for a lot of us in the space and a lot of the conversations we've been having with investors have really caused us to kind of go back to square one on Bitcoin and the idea of decentralized currencies. These were really brought about to create a better world, a more inclusive world, a more sustainable world. And so I think, you know, having, you know, some catalyst as of recent to have a renewed focus on the sustainability component is, again, an opportunity for the ecosystem, not necessarily a flaw. So we're not hearing from investors that this is, you know, somehow become a deterrent but rather, yet again, a reminder that if, you know, in the last 10 or 12 years, that now that Bitcoin has, you know, moved more into the mainstream and these are now some of the kind of growing pains or kind of the next steps in its evolution for it to tackle, well, then that presents a really exciting way, to Michael's point, for the industry to work together to try to solve some of those. Michael Saylor, many have set off sirens claiming that this is industry centralization. It could lead to minor collusion, perhaps network censorship. What's your response to that? Everybody in that meeting, including Elon, are passionate believers in decentralization. The only reason we had the meeting is because we wanted to ensure the success of a decentralized cryptocurrency and the source of the decentralization is energy usage. And the existential threat to Bitcoin is concerns over the sustainability of the energy usage. So to the extent that we want to defend Bitcoin, we need to manage any concerns, especially from uninformed parties uh, concerning energy usage, we need to make sure the people that are hostile to Bitcoin and hostile to the crypto industry aren't defining uh, those narratives and defining those models and defining those metrics. In the absence of, of any good information or any response on our part, they will uh, define those models. I think uh, there, there was this concern. There are some concerns. So it's a, a secret meeting. If it's a secret meeting, I wouldn't have told millions of people the next day that it was a secret meeting. Trust me. Uh, you know, we told everybody in the world that we had a meeting. And if everybody wants to know what happened in the meeting, what happened in the meeting is, is Elon met the miners. The miners talked about, you know, their approach toward energy and their commitment to sustainability. We asked Elon for his advice about uh, about how we uh, we might actually manage concerns in the mainstream. We had a detailed conversation about it. We uh, we talked about how we might be able to to surface better data, and uh, and and it was very constructive. And uh, then we agreed, uh, you know, to do our best to continue to work toward um, sustainability and similar goals. I think uh, we're going to continue uh, to work on this this energy issue to see if we can come up with some way to uh, to report uh, Bitcoin's energy usage and keep track of of our progress towards sustainability and benchmark us versus 
other industries so that we can come up with the right way to communicate this to the rest of the world and the institutional community and the mainstream media. It's a, it's a completely uh, energy focused discussion and primarily just completely focused upon how we create transparency toward uh, the use of energy. And also I think build confidence in the rest of the world that, that Bitcoin is not getting dirtier and less energy efficient, Bitcoin and cleaner and more energy efficient. And in fact, it is the most efficient use of energy in the world right now. As I've said before, I think it's it's the most efficient technology for converting energy into prosperity. Michael Saylor, what has most surprised you about the changes? What's the biggest change in the market, in your opinion, since MicroStrategy bought its first Bitcoin? You know, what surprised me is that is that we've had a nonstop av- avalanche of good news. And then uh, I see the volatility in the market all based upon FUD. And the FUD is, it, first it was the Chinese are mining too much Bitcoin. And then the FUD was sell Bitcoin. And the second FUD was the Chinese are going to stop mining Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin. And then the FUD was, well, you can't buy Bitcoin in China, sell Bitcoin. And then the FUD was, Oh, the Chinese reiterated you can't buy Bitcoin in China, sell Bitcoin. And then the FUD was, oh, IRS says you got to pay your taxes, sell Bitcoin. So and and that's the news cycle, right? So I, I feel like like uh, everything's working out great. I mean, if you'd asked me in August, are you going to do you expect to get the legitimization of Bitcoin like this? I wouldn't have in my wildest dreams expected so much good news to come. So. I think it's it's going awesome. Just the market's volatile. Thank you. 
So that's pretty much the whole Bitcoin mining ESG fiasco that's happened here in the past 24 hours. Um, there's a lot there. There's a lot to cover. <laughs> uh, we did our best to, uh, you know, just provide y'all the you know most up to date coverage of all of that. You know, that's what we do here. And so let's jump into the uh, kind of Chinese Bitcoin ban. And, you know, none of this is new, right? These are just more drastic measures that uh, the Chinese government has, you know, tried to do over and over and over again. And uh, one of the biggest people who really is front and center for a lot of this is Bobby Lee. He's uh, Charlie Lee's brother. <laughs> and... Uh, I actually like Bobby a lot. I've never actually met him before, but I have a feeling that if I ever met the guy, I would really get along with him. Uh, you know, he's a Bitcoin OG and um, he's a Bitcoin maximalist. And um, he really he really uh, talks a lot about the, um, you know, about what's really important when it comes to Bitcoin. And so he's going to discuss everything here in this segment. And then we also have Coindesk kind of giving you a broad overview of how they see uh, this whole Chinese market fiasco. Um, they have reached out to people in China uh, to do some of the reporting there. And so we're going to hear from that person as well, too. And then finally, I thought it would be best to get somebody like Sam Bankman fried He is somebody that is... I think really gives a, a thoughtful and unique uh, understanding to a lot of what we see in the space. And he just has an interesting way of looking at things. So we'll, we'll close up with him. So um, let's do that. Let's, let's jump into this whole Chinese kind of uh, FUD that's been kind of taking place over this past week, week and a half, right? Let's do it.
we saw a number of headlines uh, drop uh, over here at uh, Forecast News. We've been covering uh, since last week uh, the crackdown on mining from uh, China after its 51st meeting of the State Council Financial Stability and Development uh, Committee that essentially cracked down on mining. And we saw that warning cast a chill uh, as it were. And we certainly saw the drive down on Bitcoin and even uh, uh, Ethereum and other altcoins uh, down in Asia trading hours. So that certainly was a dynamic we were watching. And then over the weekend, uh, Emily, as you mentioned uh, at the top of the show uh, that we heard from Huabi um, and really uh, uh, clamping down and being uh, very chilled, uh, the the Chinese policy chill, putting a chill uh, across uh, corporate uh, corporate business. And so we saw in Huabi making statements that uh, it will suspend services for new users in mainland China. Um, but we got to say that this is this is not necessarily happening in a vacuum. It's not necessarily happening in a crypto vacuum. But if you pull out to the broader economy, what's happening right now with uh, April producer price index uh, in, in a broader context is that there are real concerns about growing inflationary pressures in China. Uh, and so this, this dampening down of the speculative nature uh, on currencies, uh, on cryptocurrencies, is not unique to the crypto market, at least from China. They also made very stern uh, comments on iron ore prices and other commodities, which saw a huge surge in in prices. So there is a wider stance and a wider concern about growing inflationary pressure. Uh, and of course, China being a top-down uh, uh, government structure uh, really has to uh, make sure as well that social uh, and community stability is clear. And so there, there's always a social aspect to a lot of a lot of uh, these policy uh, uh, making statements. Sorry, how big a deal do you think this China this China crackdown is? I mean, is this something that's just going to you know dominate the crypto price cycle for a few days and then go away, or is this something that we're going to see actually have a significant in price impact uh, impact on price going forward? Yeah, I you know, and I was going to bring in uh, what happened on Friday uh, in this region in Hong Kong, um, where uh, SFC. Um, uh, chief, uh, basically came down with policy saying that they would, Hong Kong would likely move in the direction of, um, limiting, uh, crypto exchanges, uh, and access for retail investors and limiting it to, uh, professional investors. And that's essentially only 7% of the market. Um, uh, that has $1 million in, in uh, portfolio holdings that would uh, make them accredited investors, as uh, other markets would describe. So, Emily, I think you make a great point. You know, a lot of this is uh, top-down policy. A lot of this is the, the regulatory environment that, that is tightening. It's not only happening in China or Hong Kong. Um, it's happening globally. So, so that is always going to be the pressure. But I think Lawrence is right. I mean, when you take a look at how prices uh, topped, uh, you know, started the year 
in January where we are right now. Um, That kind of volatility will continue no matter uh, what kind of headline comes out. But certainly that is something that we're we're watching very closely because uh, that is a significant part of the market, as you know, here in Asia. I'm a Bitcoin sort of maximalist Bitcoin fan. I, you know, for for new people new to crypto, I definitely encourage people to consider investing in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's the first and most important crypto to invest. Now, I would say don't touch the altcoins until you're comfortable with Bitcoin. So once once you have your a strong understanding and comfortable holding Bitcoin, then you can branch out and invest in other alternate coins. And uh, there's lots to choose from. But I still recommend for the majority of your investment weight to be in Bitcoin. That's just my, that's that's what I do and that's what I preach. Um, so in terms of the advice number two about not buying enough, the idea is that when people invest in Bitcoin, they think they're investing in stocks and real estate where they're very happy with a 100% return or 200% return. But Bitcoin is actually not that kind of asset. Bitcoin is a very special asset class where the returns will be much, much higher than 100 to 200%. It could be 1,000%, 10,000%. So when that happens, people ultimately regret, oh my gosh, you didn't tell me Bitcoin's going to perform so well. I wish I had bought more, right? So what I tell people now is when you buy Bitcoin, think, if it's going to go up 100 times, will you be satisfied buying the amount you purchased today? Are you satisfied with that if it goes up 100 times? If you're not satisfied, then you should buy more. But again, also always do so within your means. Uh, don't borrow money. Don't buy, don't buy it on leverage. So, so remember to just to be prudent on the, on the financial side. Hey, Bob. Yeah, I think um, so. So, so one, one of the questions will be, you know, like what, what, the, inf- what the enforcement uh, of, of the most recent crackdown will be. Yeah, the, well, look like I, I think the the trading side it's already pretty cracked down. I think all they can do is trying to trace the money flow. Yeah, so I, I think all they can do is go back to the money flow. Um, I it, it's oh, it's very hard because when you, when in China you literally have hundreds of millions of bank transactions every day going from account to account. It's very hard to track down which bank transfers are actually for crypto purchases and which bank transfers are for regular goods and services. So this is one of those things where I know the banks are using, you know, software, data mining software to try to figure that out. But it's an increasingly hard thing. You could masquerade, you know, crypto transactions, uh, bank transfers, because in the end, they're not tied to anything physical, right? It's not like you can say, oh, this guy walked into the store, he bought this merchandise, made a bank transfer, and that must be related to the merchandise. You know, bank transfers sort of happen out of the blue. Uh, the crypto is 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 unlinked to the bank transfers. So it's very hard to track that down. Now, what they can do for the mining side is they, they've actually, because mining is physical, right? So they have now encouraged people, neighbors to report on illegal mining activity. So if they rule Bitcoin and crypto mining to be illegal, then the neighbors and, you know, can get rewards for sort of uh, pointing out that there's a mining farm here. Uh, in this in this location in this you know warehouse blah blah blah, so I think the miners are getting worried. They're going to move their machines out of China and continue to mine Bitcoin. So it it, it just it's just a whack a mole thing. I'm not. Um, it is what it is. So I, I don't. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it's going to affect Bitcoin long term. Yeah. So like we just got some breaking news. Like uh, Inner Mongolia just published a new 
you know, deadline for, uh, you know, in terms of how to execute uh, the, the crackdown on mining in the region. So it looks pretty uh, comprehensive. Like, you know, it also bans, you know, certain, like mining, like, for example, mining at home, like individual miners. So uh, I guess, like, I want to, um, I wonder, like, uh, what is your take on this new development? Yeah, the, the mining at home is, is a very tough thing to, to truly stamp out because in the end, Mining is just running a computer to do something, right? How do you know your mind? Like, how do I know this computer browser isn't mining? How do we know my the apps running on my iPhone isn't mining crypto, right? So they can ban it. Just enforcement will be very hard. I, I, um, you know, I, I think until China. Basically, China has to do this because it's under a capital-controlled society at this point, the economy and the currency. So it's just sort of sort of this whack-a-mole, sort of this uh, temporary uh, issue. And of course, you know, Inner Mongolia announced it. I'm not surprised. You know, the other provinces will probably do the same, Sichuan, you know, Xinjiang, and all, all those provinces where there's a lot of uh, mining activity going on. They'll, they'll do that, yeah. I think it's mostly Inner Mongolia and Sichuan, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm really curious about... Uh, you know, like uh, how how does this like recently? You know, like the recent Inner uh, Mongolia uh, guideline compared to the one that is in September 2019, and some of the other previous warnings uh, from this region. Um, how much like uh, how 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 is it different from the pre- previous ones? So, for example, the one that just broke uh, includes everyone from large scale mining operations in the region to um, you know, to, to, you know, telecom companies who are in assisting um, mining operations and to like individuals who, who would secretly plug in and, and to mine a little bit, uh, you know, cryptocurrency. So like, uh, the, the, I guess like my question is the scope of this crackdown, is it like bigger than previous ones where like you think the rhetoric and, and the, the guideline is uh, more or less similar than, than, than the previous ones? It's all about the enforcement, okay? So remember, China operates in a way where the rules, they rarely change the rules because changing the rules can be very controversial. What they do is they, they change their enforcement. That way they have more flexibility. So when they don't like something, they'll enforce it more strictly. And then when they think it's too much, they'll let the pressure off and sort of stand back a little bit. So the actual rules, the actual law doesn't change. So... So that's why um, these announcements, these verbal announcements are just a signal to the market that they're going to step up the enforcement. Okay, so the rules haven't changed. It's just going to step up the enforcement. Um, so in terms of how severe it is, I, like I said, I, I care about the long term. I care about Bitcoin as an investment, first of all. So, so, so as an investor in Bitcoin, I care about the long term performance of the cryptocurrency. So these announcements, these enforcement changes don't affect my long-term view of Bitcoin as a viable global reserve asset class, as something that's going to go up in value a lot, a lot in the coming years, okay? However, it does help people who want to get in the market now. So so basically, it, crack, it, it crashes the prices of crypto, of Bitcoin and so on in the recent days. You see that, right? So on the one hand, people are panic selling. But on the other hand, it's giving people who with conviction, people who are new to crypto, they want to come in. Um, it gives them a chance to buy crypto on a cheap Right, so so everything has is has two sides, right? You could look at it from a good angle, from a bad angle. You could look at it from a positively. So so what it is is it actually creates more volatility for the market. Uh, the irony is that the regulators 
are complaining about Bitcoin because it's very volatile. And the irony is that when they announce these regulatory actions, when they announce these regulatory warnings, it actually adds more volatility to the to the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency market itself. So it's really ironic, I, th- I find it. Um, but otherwise, I... I don't, you know, it doesn't matter what China does to Bitcoin. Bitcoin itself will not succeed because of China alone. Um, Bitcoin succeeds again, like I said, because of its competitor, which is a fiat money system. If the fiat money system were better, then Bitcoin would have a harder time to succeed. If the fiat money system, if people have trouble moving money, withdrawing money, you know, using the banking system, having the money preserve value, if all these troubles continue, then Bitcoin will be more and more useful. To society. Over the last few days, I have a lot of friends, a lot of strangers come up to me and ask me, hey, Bobby, is the bull market over? Uh, is, it, um, is it the end? You know, is it, uh, are we, you know, they, they really want to just sort of panic sell and sell everything. And I tell them, no, this is, this is not it. This is not, uh, this is not the end. Don't sell during a panic. Uh, if anything, if you want to sell and take some money off the table, you should sell it on the way up. So, so remember, bull markets never end on panic selling. Okay, think about that. Bull markets never end on panic selling. Rather, or or other news events from regulatory things. You know what happened last week. Rather, they end when the market runs out of steam. Okay, so so because of this price correction, this is a normal price correction for Bitcoin. Uh, it's not. It's not uh, the end. Certainly not the end of the bull market. I think two thousand twenty one will be the year of the bull market. So why will Bitcoin prices keep going up? Because Bitcoin is undervalued, okay? So the point here is that Bitcoin's value does not come from the endorsement, acceptance, or the regulation by governments, okay? So people need to be reminded of that. Bitcoin's value instead actually comes from the inherent failures, the limitations, and the inconveniences of the competition, which is a fiat money system, right? If the fiat money system fails us, if the fiat money system is overinflated, too much printing, and it's inconvenient, all the restrictions and so on, that's... That's why Bitcoin prices go up because the fiat money system sucks, right? So that's the that's the uh, that's the real thing, okay? Um, so also, finally, you know, Bitcoin will become a global reserve asset class. I have full confidence Bitcoin is already on its way to becoming global reserve asset class, and will continue to do so in the coming years. And just remember, just like in two thousand seventeen, two thousand thirteen, the regulatory the regulatory uh, stances you know by china whatever country does not actually affect the bull market it's just a temporary setback the bull market will go to its all-time high and then we see this uh, happen every few years okay so again uh i've written this book called the promise of bitcoin uh please read it uh i hope you enjoy it it's really for the general audience not technical at all Um, and you know anything that that makes that more difficult um, is going to face a headwind there. And I do think that's one thing you see with crypto is you know worries from from Beijing that um, that uh, Bitcoin is going to make it harder for them to track the monetary supply within China. Going to make it harder for them to to stop selling of RMB. It's going to introduce lots of of unclear cases where someone's trying to buy crypto. Uh, you know, with RMB and, and you know, the, the government is trying to figure out what is this? Is this, you know, an economic or, or a commodity like investment? Um, or is this someone trying to short RMB, you know, and, and, and sometimes the line is, is pretty thin there. And I think that that's one of the things that they're worried about here, as well as people using it 
as sort of a, a backdoor way to offshore RMB. And, you know, I don't think that's the only concern in China about crypto, but I think it's always been one of the biggest um, and is probably going to remain one for the foreseeable future. Do you think one of those concerns is the idea that perhaps uh, Bitcoin might take the place of the RMB for in terms of as a uh, kind of a quasi a trade currency, if you will? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to quite occupy the same niche that RMD does. Um, but I, I do think that's absolutely the worry is that it could, um, you know, sort of in the limit where people just sold all their RMB for BTC. I think that is not what the Chinese government wants. And I think that, you know, they want ideally RMB to play a significant role on the global stage um, and, you know, are worried about it from that perspective as well. Um, I think it's less, though, about direct replacement and more about out facilitating outflows of RMB. <laughs> of consensus yeah it's a it's a four day conference and it's a, it's a lot to cover but uh, you know I really take a lot of a lot of pride into um, to delivering this for y'all each and every day uh, I try to do my best to get all the information I think that uh, the average Bitcoin you know crypto investor would need to uh, understand what's going on in the space. And I know a lot of you actually work in the space too as well. So it's it's good for somebody who wants to attend, who wants to watch 12 hours of coverage, <laughs> but just don't, doesn't, don't, doesn't have the time to do it, right? Um, so this is a good kind of, um, you know, um, just passive way of, uh, of understanding of what's going on each and every day and uh, getting kind of a, um, just a good primer. Yeah, that's all we're trying to do, right? So tomorrow we'll be back with day three of, of consensus. Um, it's not looking too promising. <laughs> Usually consensus starts off really strong, um, right? And that's because in past years, 
consensus the first day it is usually was just announcements. And this year, there hasn't been too many announcements. It's just mostly combating FUD. Um, but in years past, it's always been a lot of announcements. This year hasn't been too many. But, um, you know, it usually starts off strong and then it gets weaker and weaker as the week goes on. So uh, Monday and Tuesday have been very strong. I've been really surprised just how strong consensus has been this year, which is the amount of information that it's 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 delivering. Uh, this is the first year I can truly say, wow, um, it really is delivering more information than than years past, which is awesome. Um, tomorrow is going to be a lot about CBDCs, uh, a lot about uh, what the uh, Fiat Maximus are going to do, <laughs> and a lot about what MasterCard and uh, all that kind of stuff. They're also going to get into the geopolitical uh, impacts of the Chinese digital yuan. Uh, and then we also have, um, I think I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, really not a, a lot there. Yeah, so tomorrow could could be very thin. We, uh, yeah, it could be very thin tomorrow. So um, look for look for probably a much shorter uh, consensus state three. Um, I'll try to make it as interesting as I can, <laughs> and we'll deliver it to y'all. Um, so, okay. I want to give a uh, quick shout out to the few people that uh, sent me emails um, this morning uh, after listening to our birth crypto death episode uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, I want to say, you know, those type of emails really touch me at my core, <laughs> at my corazón. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, yeah, I do it for y'all. And uh, it really... Uh, shows that um you know that I'm, I'm headed in the right direction and uh yeah so thank you for that i also want to say that uh you know covering consensus this week has given me so many great ideas for uh future podcasts that um man i can't wait to get out of this coverage for it <laughs> i have so many ideas that i want to explore because of this uh, conference and that's what's great about this industry is that you bounce off these ideas when you get together and attend these things and um, we really learn a lot from each other and uh, we really learn a lot from listening so see you next time